This is games in schools and libraries. The podcast about board, card and digital games and the ways in which they can find a place in schools or at the local library. Hosting provided by the Games for Educators website www.g4ed.com Welcome to the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. My name is Giles Pritchard. I'm a teacher at St George's Road Primary School in Shepparton, Australia. I use games in my Grade 3-4 classroom, as well as for our Games Club, our Games Days and many other purposes. You can also find me on my blog, castlebymoonlight.blogspot.com or on Twitter as P. And my name is Donald Dennis. I'm the Young Adult Games and Technology Librarian for the Georgetown County, South Carolina Library System, where I provide technology and games programming for youth and young adults. I'm also the producer for the Onboard Games podcast at onboardgames.net, and you can find me as Onboard Games on Twitter or all around the internet as Walsfeo, W-A-L-S-F-E-O. Excellent. So how's everything been at the library, Don? Uh, things have been going great at the library. We've had uh, some, you know, the children's librarian has come up to me and said, hey, we want to do a family fun night. And so uh, two or three times a month I go and I assist her now with uh, games at uh, the Georgetown Library. And so this is something that we try every once in a while. In some seasons it clicks better than others, but uh, it's been kind of interesting. How's it going this season? Uh, this season is good. Uh, we were playing the Catan Junior game from Mayfair, and we were setting up, and we just sort of started playing. This uh, young girl came up and she says, what are you guys playing? And I started explaining the game to her, and she says, oh, that sounds just like Settlers of Catan. And I look <laughs> at her, and I'm like, well, it's yes, it's the uh, younger person's version of that. And so she sat in, and she played with us for a while. And after a few minutes, she's like, this is fun, but I like the original Settlers better. And I'm like, well, we have that in the other room. It's just you know, not appropriate for the, for the gaming event. It's something that we have there more that people can come in and play or when we have a longer game, of, game event scheduled. But uh, it was pretty neat to have somebody come in who'd never done any of our gaming programs or listened to our show here, know what Settlers of Catan was. Excellent. So um, what sort of turnout do you get, and what, what sort of age groups are you dealing with? Uh, well, the turnout's been pretty varied, and it's a relatively new this time around. So we had like seven kids show up the yep. first night, and you know it's been sort of hovering around that level, but we're hoping that by continuing to do it over and over again, of course, that we'll start to get more and more people to show up. That sounds great. I'm actually have started a similar program um, at school um, in partnership with a charitable organisation, the Smith Family here um, in Australia. They they do a lot of programs with uh, low socioeconomic families, or they do a lot of programs in schools generally, but um, have their scholarship programs for low socioeconomic families. Mm-hmm. And um, as a part of of um, their support for those families, they often run uh, homework clubs and similar at schools. Um, and we were interested in doing, or the, the rather they were interested in running something like that at our school. And um, the principal, bless her soul, was um, sitting there and said, you know what, actually, we, we've got a 
pretty good um, games program. How would how would that fit? And so for the last couple of weeks this term, and it'll be running for the rest of this term, we've we've been having a games club after school on a Thursday night and uh, have been having kids and, and their mums and so forth come in to uh, play games, and that's been uh, really good so far. We've probably had the same numbers, about seven, eight kids, um, but we see it at the moment as a real test project for something that um, might become bigger uh, in 2013. We shall just have to wait and see. But so far it's been a lot of fun being involved with that. And uh, the Smith family people who have come along every week have been really excited. They're, what are all these games? We've never heard of all these titles before. So that's <laughs> yeah. been a lot of fun as well. Definitely. We've had meetings with people come in uh, because the space that I have at the Georgetown Library, you know, it's got a couple of nice tables in it and people will come in and use it during the day when it's the small business center and they'll see all these games and they'll ask questions, but they never quite get the nerve up to come and participate and utilize the games. You know, but the kids are like, oh, what's this? This is pretty neat. And so we're just (laughs) exposing people to some of these things you know while they're you know waiting for other activities or or whatnot so that's pretty cool very Uh, good oh i've got one other thing that's going on is that there's a local educational toy and game store who is sort of working with me to uh, we're going to try and apply for a grant that is going to build a game kit that we can move to different schools in the area it's like hey here's the game day kit take it there run this run these games they're going to let us uh, purchase the games you know through them at what they would normally pay for them so it's you know going to give us a discount on purchasing games and then if that works and that pilot program works then we're going to try and set up game collections at the school the next year sort of a stepped process of building up these collections at the various schools and slowly the empire grows. <laughs> uh, so we hope. So we hope. Uh, so we're we're talking about building all these game collections up and and designing game programs. The, the problem that I had recently is that we've had some damage occur because you know either the kids get out the games when I'm not looking because we've got them on the shelves or we're moving them from location to location. So uh, box damage and, and game game bits damage is occurring, and so. We're having to pay a little bit more attention to how do we prepare our games to bring them out and how do we, you know, make sure that the games that we purchase last longer and, uh, you know, both in uh, the, the pre-preparation and how to deal with damage when it happens. Do you, do you have a lot of issue with that as, on your end? Yeah, we do. Um, we've had our games collection for about five years. It's, um, you know, a hundred odd titles strong. Um and, you know, we deal with a lot of uh, issues, sometimes lost pieces, um, though thankfully relatively few of those, um, but certainly, uh, most certainly, uh, lost rule books, torn boxes, torn boxes probably the most common, um, broken pieces and uh, torn boards and things like that. And that really, is, it's not from misuse, it's from heavy use. Um, and anything that you know, any situation where where games, uh, you know, or, or anything really get get so heavily used as they do, um, you know, at our games days, you know, we have several hundred kids playing, you know, that, that might play the different games, um, you know, it's nat- they're naturally not going to stand up to that sort of use uh, year in year out. 
And so we've got to do a little bit of maintenance in terms of making sure that um, they're in good enough condition to be able to be wheeled out next time. Right. Uh, you know, the, the problem, and this, this is going to sound kind of counterintuitive, most of the games that I have problems with are not the board games, though, of course, you know, we'll have issues with some of the boxes on those. But, you know, if the box corner gets split, that's not going to destroy the usefulness of the game. But our video game collection seems to be the one that gets the most damage or that has the most, you know, unplayable discs. And this is getting to be a huge problem as some of the favorites of the kids are becoming less and less available. Yeah. And, and so I've done some research into these, and we have a, a chain of stores here in the U.S. called GameStop. I don't know if it's the same chain or a similar chain that you might have there in Australia or in other places across the world. But, you know, you go in to buy games, and if you buy a new game, um, you know, then, then you know what you're getting. It's out of the box. It's going to work. But if you buy used games, you might see that there's this little metal Band-Aid around the center of the disc. And, you know, that that could be hiding, like, a variety of sins. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't know how badly this disc is cracked in the center. But on the other hand, if you can get a, a set of those uh, little magic, uh, you know, metallic rings, uh, I guess they're really just plastic or, or vinyl or something, but they're, they're a metallic color, then that will, that will help maintain the integrity of your discs as you're sort of popping them in and out of the cases. But it really, it really seems like most video game companies have gone to using the, uh, the disc boxes that are designed to destroy discs as you pop them in and out of the cases. And when I've got a game like, uh, you know, Call of Duty Black Ops that is designed, you know, the kids will come in and one kid will play it for an hour and then he's got to go and another kid wants to. So it might come in and out of that box, you know, six or seven times over the course of a day that uh, it's just going to destroy this disc in quick order. So, you know, either manage where you're keeping your discs a little better. You know, you can get one of this the, the DVR sp- uh, or DVD spindles where you've got a bunch of discs or, yep. you know, in theory you could put it in a binder. But once again, if you're sliding it in and out of a binder of discs, you're, you're more likely to scratch, scratch your game. Uh, and, but there are, uh, you know, a variety of things that you can use to help reinforce your disc, whether it's, you know, laminate covers for the whole disc, which will keep, uh, you know, keep the disc safe from scratches a lot longer, uh, to, uh, you know, buying insurance, because I know that if you pick up a, a disc at uh, GameStop, you can buy insurance for a year, and if it's a kind of a game like a Madden or, you know, a Black Ops or a Halo, where the same game's going to be coming out year after year, and the kids are not going to want to play the old one once the new one happens, then one year of insurance is going to be use, very useful in case something happens during that year to uh, to help recover that game disc. Yeah. Yeah, insurance is a you know one of those. It's a yeah. I, I suppose for libraries, especially, it's one of those um, things that's probably worth really looking at, especially for those games, as you said, that get you know in they get popped in and out and in and out and in and out so regularly. So yeah. right. So what else in terms of you know things like storage or cleaning the discs? Are there any other tricks or tips that you've got for listeners in terms of uh, maintaining a collection of video games it's not this isn't really an issue that we face we haven't got uh, any consoles um, that we have at our school 
Um, but yeah, I'd be interested to know. I would say the biggest tip that I have is when you're cleaning the discs, people have a tendency, they have the disc in their hand and it's round. And so they start wiping in around, you know, the, their cloth, you know, yep. like, like they're cleaning a clock or something in circles. If you do that, the data on a disc goes in that circular format. So it's much more likely that if there's a piece of grid on there, by the way, what you want to do is blow the disc off before you ever rub anything across it. You know, whether you have to use a can of air or just your uh, your own delightfully fresh breath, um, you know, do what you can to get any grit or grime off that way. And then you'll use a microfiber cloth of some type, and then you brush from the center of the disc out to the edge, and you do that all the way around. And that will keep you from corrupting longer pieces of information with scratches. And and then that's going to help you a lot. But once again, just making sure the disc doesn't have any grit on it before you swipe is going to go a long way towards helping you you keep this these discs legible and readable by the consoles. Yeah. And sometimes it just requires wiping off fingerprints and all of a sudden it's much cleaner and there are actual you know, disc cleaners that you can use, you know, but I, I don't recommend usually putting solvents of any type on your video game discs. Yeah. Well, I suppose, um, you know, a, a slightly similar thing uh, that we do have at our school is to do with iPads and iPods um, in terms of, you know, making sure those things are protected. Um, one of the considerations, obviously, when we first... We, we've got a bank of iPods at the moment. We're looking... or well, we're going to be getting a bank of iPads uh, at the start of next year for the, for the classes. Um, and, obviously, one of the first things that we also brought alongside all of that were cases to protect, um, you know, just to protect the, the particularly the back of the the iPods. Uh, there's, we haven't really got anything to go over the screen aside from one of those um, very thin plastic covers that that you sort of lay over the touch screens. Um, but all of those sort of things go a little way to protecting the iPods and so forth from getting, you know, the glass scratched or, or damaged or whatever else. So, um, yeah, that laminate that you put on the screen, uh, is, I don't have one of those for my iPod, but uh, I sort of wish I had done that before I started using it. Um, <laughs> you, you mentioned security, and that was something I forgot to mention for the disks. I know that uh, for a lot of libraries have sensors by the door that tell, hey, when these books or whatever resources are being taken out the door without permission, well, you can get the sensor rings that you can put around the center of the disks at the library as well. Uh, yep. And and that that will help for security wise. Uh, another tip for security for for video game discs is don't let them take the cases. Make sure you have the cases where you can see them, so that when somebody's getting up to leave, you then say, "Hey, I need your game." And you put the put the disc back in its case and then and then stow it, and that'll help you keep an idea of the flow of your game use. But I'm sorry when you're when you said that you're getting iPods or iPads, are you getting yep. the new iPad mini or are you getting full size iPads or are you getting uh, iPods? Um, we've got a bank of iPods. So we've got at the moment we've got a bank of about uh, 12 iPods and they're together um, they can be basically borrowed out by the classes. And in terms of security, we keep them in our server room which is uh, all locked up. 
and uh, individual teachers can go and grab that. There's a booking sheet for it and so forth and then take it to their class. Um, so that's the way we sort of manage our iPods. Um, but next year we'll be getting a trolley of iPads as well and the borrowing system will be basically um, similar to that. So a yeah, bit of both. Right. And they'll be full-sized iPads, yeah, not the iPad minis. Well, cool. Uh, <clears throat> I have to say that some kind of case for any of these devices is going to greatly enhance the length that they're available to be used. I know that that um, the iPads that folks have gotten around the office, uh, you know, which we use for various programs, that they are getting kind of beat up because we don't all have the the, the cases around the outside of them as well. And yep. they're, these things are pretty fragile around the volume up and down button. And so if you don't have something that goes around the edge, then, uh, you know, it, it only takes a very small bump to, you know, possibly make it impossible for you to change the volume up or down. Yeah, they're, they're you know, delicate pieces of um, technology, that's for sure. And, and, you know, kids being kids in a school environment, you know, there are going to be situations where um, these things are dropped or, uh, you know, where they're put down and, and the kids aren't overly careful with them. I guess something we'll talk about in a little bit to do with board games as well, you know, it comes down to educating the kids on how they are to be treated um, and uh, to make sure that, you know, that they look after them. Um, and, and the consideration, I guess, that um, that it's a piece of school property and, and that that gets treated, might get treated differently to the way they treat um, things at home, um, you know, if, if, if they happen not to be that careful with their belongings themselves. So, right. you know, a little education program with the kids I think is well worth um, doing around the use of those things and the care of them. All right. And there's a program, of course, called, uh, like, Where's My iPad, which yep. will will track your electronics devices. So make sure you have installed whatever security software that your institution uh, either requires or is comfortable with. I know that there's always some security or privacy issues that, hey, we're checking these out to our patrons. Is it legitimate for us to have these kinds of this kind of tracking software on them, or you know we're loaning them to students or or teachers? Is it reasonable to say, well, where is our piece of hardware? But you know, and, and develop a policy for your institution that says, all right, we're putting um, where's my iPad on all of our iPads, mm. and maybe we're checking them out at the library, but our institutional rule is we do not check up on them unless they get reported lost or missing you know and then at that point we begin our process of of trying to find them well we've had a few issues with iPhones and and um, laptops and things being stolen um, at school as I'm sure that uh, a lot of a lot of institutions have um, and that's why we are very careful with our collection of iPods that we have that check-in check-out system so you know I might grab the the little um, box of, of iPods um, you know I know it's got 
X amount of iPods in it. When I grab it, I know that by the end of the lesson or the end of the day that it's uh, that, that many iPods are going back into the box, and um, then that's going back into the locked server room. You know, so that that check-in system is a has been a really important part of of maintaining that collection and making sure that none of those things just happen to go walk about, whether by accident or or on purpose. Right, and we have the same thing with some of our other technology hardware at the library, which is. Hey, here's a camera. In this plastic box, it has, you know, we have a list of everything that's in that box. So it's a kit. And you make it so that when you check it out, uh, you know, you know that everything's in there. When you check it back in, you know that it's got all that information. Even if it's for kids in your classroom, you need to make sure that, oh, this box that I brought out had 15 iPods in it. I need to make sure that there's all of that there. So once again, just training and getting used to going through these procedures instead of allowing yourself to be overwhelmed by, because I know when you're dealing with kids, transitional periods are always chaotic. It's Mm. like, I need everybody to get back to their desk. I need everybody to go get their book bags. I need all of these things. And at least uh, in some of the public spaces I've been in, it can be like, oh, we're moving from one activity to the next. So while I'm doing this, you know, the kids might help me get everything stowed into the boxes or get everything taken care of, but I need to take a moment before we move on so that I can do my own, you know, inventory shorthand and say, yep, it looks like all the pieces are here or it looks like all of the units are here and we can put them away knowing that everything is in its place. And like you said, training is a big part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've talked quite a bit about electronics and, and I love that. That's a big part of what I do, but... You know, our other great love here on the show is uh, paper, pen and paper, or board game products. So do you have any special preparation that you do? You just got in a whole bunch of games. Uh, what do you do to make them shelf-ready so that they're ready for your events? Um, well, that's an interesting question. I, I, you know, I think it, it is important to do a little bit of prep work when you do get a bunch of games in. So one of the things that... Um, I'll go through and do, obviously, is open up the box, punch all the pieces out. Um, depending on the game, if, if it's got some of the... Some games include little special extras, little mini expansions that are in the game, um, or some pieces that are only used in advanced versions of the game. Often, if I don't think we'll be using those advanced versions, I'll bag those up and I'll put them underneath the... Um, the the vacuum tray so that they're not easily accessible that they're not easy to get out Um, and just have all of the basic pieces for the basic game actually in the box all bagged up and ready to be used Um, in some games i'll also make a list of the pieces and glue it on the inside of the box lids so that um you know that there's a there's a very simple checklist that um, people have uh, right there in front of them that should tell them exactly what bits and pieces should be inside the box. So that's some of the preparation that I'll do um, right off the bat when we get when we get some games in through the door, um, and I'll do that before they go into the cupboard and and hit you know the circulation I suppose, um, and then obviously from there there's the continued maintenance. But is there any prep work that you do, Don, when you grab when when you get new games in? Yeah, uh, I've got a list of things, and one, of course, is going through and taking a full inventory. I mean, you know what's supposed to be on there, because most games have a list of, here's what's in the game, but the number of times 
that I have popped open a game and found dice missing or, you know, damaged cards or whatnot. Mm. They've made me, you know, somewhat wary. I mean, it's been better, you know, over the last few years, but it used to be back in the day that, you know, because everybody had their cousin or whomever helping them load up boxes before the industry sort of matured a little bit, that that, <laughs> that you'd have all kinds of weird things happen. You know, we received games that had newspaper clippings in them, and this was a new game. It's like, oh, look, let's just store this in this box or whatever. Uh, but so I would say that, uh, you know, a couple things that I like to do is we have, you know, book tape that we use for, you know, spines of books in, in game at the library when we're doing maintenance on damaged books is especially if the box for a game seems somewhat flimsy i will go ahead and tape those corners up ahead of time just to keep them because there are some boxes that are so cheap that when you open the box it will pop the corner it's like really you couldn't afford something a little better than that um and if possible i will try and print out another copy of the rules book because when you're dealing with uh, you know a wide variety of ages, you want to have something extra there to hand out or some sort of player aids. So I'll go onto the board game geek, and if I find out there's any player aids that are going to make this game easier to teach or play, I'll include those inside the box. Um, and you know there have been a couple of boxes that are of just such a weird shape, or they're so thin that it's like they're going to pop open at a moment's notice. I'll even create a box sleeve to slide that box into there so that it'll just give better structural integrity and keep the box from springing apart. Uh, That's not something I do very often, but but there's a big part of that. And then the other thing is you've got to figure out how to keep all of your pieces together. And I think you mentioned bagging up the bits. Yeah, bagging, yeah. And bagging is a great thing because you can label the bags, and then when the kids are putting together, you can almost make a game out of, okay, we're putting this game away. Let's see who can get your color pieces into your bag the quickest or, or whatever it is, depending on the age of the kids that you're playing with. Uh, you know, and, and you can even use those for cards. Uh, or I have something that's it's a cohesive tape, which I think was originally sold as like sewer's tape so that you could put like a rounded needle or, and thread and keep it from all falling apart. Uh, but you can wrap decks with this tape, and the tape only sticks to itself. It doesn't stick to the cards. And I think it's called Hugo's Amazing Tape here in the U.S., yep. but you can find it under a variety of names and recreational activities um, <laughs> that uh, that does that. Um, but I love your idea about putting the, uh, the contents uh, on the cover of the box. Just... You know, the librarian in me says use something that is acid-free, so, you know, library paste or something like that that's not going to devour uh, the box just by, by having glued something onto it. Don't okay. use scotch tape to put that in there because scotch tape is bad, and after a couple of years, of course, it's just going to flake off and leave nasty stains. Yeah, I can attest to that. I, I used to use scotch tape to tape up the box edges and... Um, it's no good after, you know, a year or two. It just, yeah, no good at all. Splits and, uh, you know, it becomes then more difficult to actually fix it up. Well, and by the same token, you generally don't want to use uh, rubber bands uh, to collect your cards together because they'll crease the cards or if you don't use your card for a year or so or they're old, it's an old rubber band. I don't know, what do you call rubber bands 
over on that side of the world. Yeah, rubber bands or elastic bands. Elastic and, bands. And you're yeah. right. One of the, I mean, if, if you if you um, put elastic bands over all of your decks of cards, you know, and there's six, seven decks of cards, um, and then you put the box away and you get it out six months later, if it's been hot and cold and hot and cold as, um, you know, it's wont to be, then the rubber bands will have will have all split and, and got old and so forth, and you're going to open the box and end up with a, with a mess of cards anyway. So, you know, one thing I always always try and do is to put the cards where possible into bags rather than, you know, taping them or putting them in, you know, an elastic band around them. I've heard good things said about um, using hair ties for cards. I love those. But, I... uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a real bag fan. I, I just put the cards into bags where possible. Well, I love the hair ties, especially if you can get the ones without the little metal grommet or whatever it is that not um, the tab that, that holds yeah. it together. Uh, that's nice. You can also get uh, elastic for sewing so that it's kind of cloth covered. And I use that to hold some of my boxes together. That's a, a trick I learned from Scott Nicholson. Uh, you know, and, and regarding rubber bands, not all rubber bands are created equal. If you get the really cheap office supply rubber bands, you know, the ones that you can kind of pick up and you say, oh, these are cheap, then, then yeah, you're going to suffer from those right away. I have started using, in some cases, for games that I'm frequently going to get out, uh, food-grade rubber bands that, like, come around asparagus, so they're like a quarter of an inch, you know, wide, um, and have a little more thickness to them. But I still wouldn't use those, you know, because they're so much thicker than a normal rubber band. They're not going to crease the cards to such the same degree as the other ones. And it seems like they don't degrade in the same way, but I wouldn't use those for games that I wasn't getting out to play on a regular basis. And I think one of the other things, just, you know, harping on the the rubber band issue, is that um, there's one thing that school kids like to do with rubber bands, it's flick them. (laughs) Oh, that's (laughs) very true. I'll tell you what, I'll take that, I'll put that in my pocket or on my wrist and take that out to play because that'll be a lot of fun flicking people out in the playground. So, you know, that's another reason I don't tend to use elastic bands or rubber bands, that they can go walk about. That is brilliant. I, I had forgotten all about that, but my son is a perfect example of that. He cannot but get his hands on our rubber brand before it is flying across the room. <laughs> and now, I've, I've also used, you know those little silicone, uh, uh, silicone armbands that, uh, you know, will be like the Livestrong or, or yep. whatever. I've, I've used those before to great effect, but because they don't have the give that your normal uh, rubber or elastic bands have on them, that you know you pretty much have to find a deck of cards that they just gently hold in place, so it doesn't work for all. Head, your, head down to your local game store and ask if they've got a game that includes a deck of cards that'll fit this. <laughs> well, okay. Now you're making me look like a weird person. <laughs> no, no. I, yeah, I, I, there's lots of... Uh, I guess what we're saying all, all together is that it's something that it's worth thinking about how they're going to be stored. Don't just grab, you know, the, the sticky tape, you know, out of the top drawer or the elastic bands, you know, out of the top drawer um, because those things can end up, you know, causing or being problematic at the least and in some cases causing damage. Um, you know, over the long term. I think, it. you know, when it comes to storage, it's worth thinking about because if a game is stored well, what it's going to do is protect, protect you know, that game into the future. It's going to mean that fewer pieces uh, end up, you know, 
going missing, uh, that it's going to mean that, um, you know, cards don't get all mixed together or just flying around inside the box or that end up getting crushed by something else in the box. Um, it's going to basically extend the life of the game. And, and ultimately, these games do get used quite heavily and um, doing what you can to make sure that they are looked after in the interim, you know, periods when they're stored um, is really important. And one of the other things to consider is is how do you um, store your games? You know, do you... Do you do you store them, you know, all the, all the pieces that look the same, do they go together, or do you store them for set-up and play? And that, that's something that's that's also a very interesting question. You know, in some games, players will begin with a certain set of pieces, um, and I like to, to basically have bags where if players start with a set of pieces, you, you basically, here's your bag, here's your bag, here's your bag. It makes the the initial getting into the game um, quite a bit easier. So that's one right. other thing to consider as well. And that's something you can work into setting up the game as well. It's like, hey, uh, I'm going to... People, especially if they're contentious over which color they get to play or which piece they get, <laughs> it's like you throw in all those bags and you say, all right, hold it up above their heads. Whoever grabs the, the green bag gets to play green. And, and, it, and it's helping with that kind of distribution. Uh, or whoever gets the bag that says first player in it, then that's going to be the person who gets to go first. And, and it can sort of help push things through and, and make setup and tear down a lot easier. I think the other, another thing, obviously, um, we talked a little bit about it when we we're talking about the iPods as well. Um, training, you know, when a lot, a lot of kids, that, at least in my experience, come into school, they may not have played games um, at home before, board games of any sort or card games of any sort. Um, they've also got little hands, and you know, there's all sorts of issues. You know, I've seen kids try and pop. Um, pieces into their mouth because they look nice and colourful or they are sitting there flexing and folding the cards in their hands because, you know, they like that that tactile movement and, and so forth and it's just an unconscious thing for them to be doing. So I think a little bit of a, a training about how to actually, you know, hold cards, how to actually, um, you know, care for pieces. You know, we've got a mantra um, in my class when it comes to the games, you know, what comes out of the box goes back into the box when you're finished. Um, you know, I think all of those little bits and pieces that you can do um, can really help in the long term in terms of maintaining a collection as well. Right. And I would say that, you know, kids, if they're, you know, not... if. All kids tend to be one thing, and that is sticky. You know, they will come in with sticky hands from having, you know, played in the mud or having, you know, just shoved a piece of candy into their mouth when you're not looking or having picked at various orifices. So, you know, it's not unreasonable to say, okay, guys, you're playing with pieces that a lot of other people have played with. Make sure your hands are clean. Uh, and especially... You know, make sure your hands are clean afterwards, too. It's like if you've been playing board games that 100 different kids have played and you're about to go to lunch, then you should probably wash your hands on the way to lunch. It's an interesting point. You know, we, I talked at the very start about the games the games club that we're running after school at the moment with the Smith family. Um, and right at the start of that, when school finishes on a Thursday afternoon, um, we get some fruit and cut it up um, for those kids in the game club. They, they come in and eat that fruit, um, you know, apples and oranges and, and things like that. 
um, obviously we don't just then break out the games because they're going to end up with, you know, they've got they've got hands that are sticky from the fruit they've eaten. Um, so, you know, I, the kids will go and wash their hands first and then come back to play the games. And that's something um, that, you know, if you have a regular um, games club or something along those lines, setting those protocols up is, you know, something that, again, can help stop the games wearing as quickly. I mean, all, all of these games, they're heavily used. The cards are going to get gummy. They are going to, you know, end up with that curve, the hand curve in them. They are going to be frayed around the edges and so on, um, you know, as, as time goes on. But but doing, you know, all these little bits and pieces can just help prolong the life of the game and, and make sure that it, it stays in the collection usable um, uh, for, for a much longer period of time. Right. Right, right. Uh, well, before we talk to you know get, get into talking about dealing with damage or or cleaning up messes or whatnot, is there anything else you do for your boxes or or for your games? You know, before you consider it shelf ready. Um, no, but there is. We we have two big cupboards where we store the games, and one of the considerations is how they actually go into those shelves. Um, and that can have an impact on on how a game survives. Um, if obviously, if you're going to put something um, small with a flimsy box at the bottom of a stack of big, heavy games, it's going to get crushed. So, <laughs> right. a little bit of uh, thought and care in terms of how they actually physically go into the cupboard is uh, something that that you know can go a long way to protecting their games as well. On the other hand, I found that that's an excellent reason to get rid of this 40-year-old copy of Monopoly that gets donated every six months to the game room. It's like, you know, none of our kids are going to spend the two hours required to play this game. Maybe if it was accidentally... No, I'm just kidding. We've we've never crushed games on purpose. Uh, but yeah, just organizing how you're going to stack them. I, I found that one other thing I like to do for games, especially if the kids are going to be playing them and they're going to have access to computers in the area, is... You know, include a piece of paper that, you know, or or even maybe a CD, which I've only done once, but that has the rules on it. Because, you know, when I'm not here managing the game collection, if that rolls or whatever disappears, somebody after me is going to have to uh, is going to have to manage the collection. Um, but I frequently put in a piece of paper that has links to. Here's a video showing you how to play this game. Yep. And then that way the kids, uh, maybe while they're doing their fruit cup or whatever it is, you could say, all right, watch this and you'll know how to play the game once it's all over, or, you know, and when you're catching up to the game. Um, yeah, that's a great idea. But you also will have the, you know, don't have your open container of uh, water or Kool-Aid or, heaven forbid, Mountain Dew next to the board, <laughs> uh, you know, just because you're, you're tempting fate at that point. I think that's something else that's really important when, you know, getting, going back to electronic devices as well, um, you know, any of those sort of liquids or, um, you know, food stuff. So I think it's really important to keep well away from, you know, your, your iPads and iPods and so on. Right. Okay. Um, so, all right. Yep. So I think that we've been recording long enough today, Giles. Maybe if we can come back to how to deal with... Uh, damage and care and stuff another time because uh, we've I've been time all talked out today. Yeah, no, that sounds great, Don. That's a topic for a future episode. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, Giles, once again, thank you very much for having me on another fine, fine episode of Games in Schools and Libraries. No, I'm honoured, Don, and thank you for joining me. 
And to all of our listeners, I'm Donald Dennis. Once again, you can find me across the internet as Walsfio, or you can find me on Twitter as Onboard Games. And I'm Giles Pritchard, and again, uh, you can find me on my blog, castlebymoonlight.blogspot.com, or on Twitter as P. And if you have any questions for Don or I, or anything that uh, that we haven't covered well enough, or that we've missed, or that you'd like to hear us cover, um, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, you can email us at schoolsandlibraries at gmail.com, uh, and we also have a guild over at Board Game Geek, which uh, you can find in the guild section there it's called uh, the school uh, games in schools and libraries podcast and uh, feel free to jump into the forums there and ask any questions or put any posts in there we'd love to hear from you well all right once again this is donald dennis and giles pritchard until next time this has been games in schools and libraries games in schools and libraries is kindly hosted by the games for educators website you can find them at www.g4ed.com. You can subscribe to their newsletter, check out games through their game finder, and of course, it's the home of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. Drop by and post comments on the episodes. We love feedback. Games in Schools and Libraries is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. To view a copy of this license, visit our webpage at the Games for Educators website.